much. Take your Bibles, turn to two passages tonight, Exodus in chapter number 12 and 1 Corinthians in chapter number 5. So an Old Testament passage in Exodus in chapter number 12 and then 1 Corinthians in chapter number 5. I want to <clears throat> expound upon um, our experience here tonight with the Lord's Supper and I, I enjoyed that and sharing that with you uh, each month and um, a sweet time, just focusing our minds and hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to show you tonight a little bit more about that in the Scripture. What does that mean for you and I? And uh, it demands some things of us, and so I want to talk to you about that tonight. We are in Exodus 12 and in 1 Corinthians 5. You have your finger in Exodus 12, and we read our text from 1 Corinthians in chapter number 5. We'll read together just the one verse tonight. And, um, and that is verse number 7 of 1 Corinthians 5. Once you found that, if you would stand with me, please, for the reading of this one verse. And we will read it together in unison. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. Together, please. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Now, notice the phrase there in uh, this verse where the Lord Jesus is called our Passover. Christ, our Passover. Now, you can turn uh, now over to Exodus chapter 12, and our message will be taken from this text. And, and, um, and uh, we're going to talk about this subject tonight, Christ, our Passover. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for thy precious word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that it is so clear for those who would know and understand. Uh, your Holy Spirit is our divine teacher and guide, and you will make it clear. And so I pray, Lord, tonight you'd strengthen things that we believe already. And, uh, Lord, that we would, uh, with soberness of mind, approach this subject. Uh, uh, what you did for us certainly demands something of us. And may we see that in a fresh way tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. When Jesus gathered his disciples together for that last uh, supper, he um, he was finishing an old era and beginning anew. Um, Christ partook of the Passover supper with his disciples. Uh, And uh, he would go from there on then, of course, to the garden and then on to Calvary. And then from there, of course, ascended up into heaven. And um, and so uh, uh, he, he began, he finished an old era and began a new era. There with his disciples, and and uh, as uh, we've talked before, Jesus started the New Testament church in his ministry. Now, I know a lot of commentators who've been greatly used of God, and I appreciate the thoughts of good godly men who expound upon the Word of God. But Matthew says that uh, there was uh, discipline in the church, and and uh, uh, and uh, uh, Jesus called out his apostles and. Um, the church was already in existence before Acts chapter 2. It was empowered in Acts chapter 2, that's clear. 
but the Lord Jesus started the church himself. And, um, and uh, Ephesians tells us then the apostles uh, were those first and uh, in there in the, in the church. And so with those apostles, Jesus started the, uh, the church and uh, <clears throat> started the local church. And uh, with that, he uh, uh, set uh, aside the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And so, uh, in the in the Old Testament, all the way back to here, where we're going to read in just a moment, Exodus chapter number twelve, uh, from Exodus chapter twelve until the Lord Jesus Christ came to Passover Lamb, was uh, an annual event, and it was celebrated like we celebrate Thanksgiving, maybe we celebrate Christmas, birthday, so forth, like that. It was an annual event. And it commemorated that Passover time there in Egypt. And so Jesus came and enjoyed that Passover meal with his disciples. And then after the supper, he said he took bread and he took the juice. And he broke the bread, took the juice, said, this is my body which is broken for you. Uh, This is the New Testament, my blood. And he said, as oft as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so then the Lamb, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. God lives outside of time and space. And in the mind of God, Jesus didn't uh, come into existence when he came to Bethlehem and down the cross around A.D. 3, 4, whatever it might be. Uh, no, no, no. He's the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Amen. And so, uh, so, but in the confines of time, around 2,000 years ago, the Lamb was slain on the old rugged cross. Amen. And once the Lamb was slain, all those Old Testament shadows, uh, uh, they don't need them anymore. The substance has come. Amen. And Jesus is the substance. All the lambs were shadows. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, is uh, God's Lamb. And the Passover, that's what our text calls him. He said, Christ, our Passover. Christ, our Passover. And so there at that Lord's Supper, that first Lord's Supper, Jesus ended an era and he began a new era. That's why, that's why we observe Lord's Supper tonight. Amen? Uh, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't sacrifice a lamb tonight. We didn't eat a lamb tonight. You know why? Our lamb already came. Amen? Amen. Our lamb's already been here. And uh, look at Exodus chapter number 12. We see uh, Christ so beautifully uh, pictured here. In this uh, passage, uh, the ten, uh, nine of the of the ten plagues have already uh, come in judgment upon the land of Egypt. For all those years, the nation had been enslaved in Egypt, and Moses is sent by God. Let my people go, and whom shall I say sent me? The I am sent you. Tell them I am sent you. <laughs> and Moses went to Pharaoh and says, The I am said, Let my people go. And uh, he said, no. And God sent a plague. And he said, yes. And he said, no again. God sent another plague. He said, yes. said, no again. Nine times um, he defied God. Pharaoh defied God. And finally then, in the last of those plagues, uh, a death angel was pronounced uh, as one who would give judgment to the land. And uh, he says in chapter 12 of Exodus, And the Lord spake unto Moses, And Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, there was the the Old Testament Jews had a civil calendar and they had a religious calendar. And the religious calendar, which is referenced here, began with the month that uh, is called Nisan, which which, uh, uh, coincides primarily with our month April, a little bit of March. 
and primarily April. So you might, might say the month April. That would be the beginning of their religious calendar. And so on this month, uh, the first month, uh, 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 he says, uh, 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 April or Nisan will be the beginning of months. Verse number three. Uh, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month. All right, so we have, number one, the first month, and number two, the instruction was on the tenth day of the first month. What are they to do on the tenth day of the first month? Back to verse number three. There he says, uh, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb. Every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house or a household. In other words, every household take a lamb. So here we have instructions for the Passover. Uh, first month, uh, uh, tenth day of the month. Tenth day of the month, first month, take a lamb. We can continue reading verse 4. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. All right. So here's a household. It's maybe a, a little uh, uh, elderly couple. The children are all grown, have their own homes, own households. Or maybe a brand new couple starting out over here. And maybe a, a, a lamb uh, could not be eaten by that household. And so those two households could join together. They could talk to neighbors and say, hey, uh, we've been told we have to get a lamb. And a male, uh, a lamb here and, uh, and uh, we have to set it aside here on the tenth day. And you know, we can't eat a, an entire lamb. And I, I don't suspect you can either. We could share. And so they make that, they could make that decision amongst themselves. And then he said in verse number five, he said, your lamb shall be without blemish. Amen. Your lamb shall be without blemish. All right. First day of the month, tenth day of the month, they are, uh, to take a lamb, and it has to be a lamb without blemish. Amen? No no second-rate lamb. Had to be a perfect lamb. No blemish. And then he said, verse 5, your lamb should be without blemish. A male. Had to be a male lamb. All right? First day of the month, tenth day, take a lamb, take a, a male lamb, a, a lamb without blemish, a male lamb uh, of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. There's a sixth instruction given. First instruction, first day of the month. Then the 10th day of the first month. Then take a lamb on the 10th day of the first month. And then in the instruction, take a lamb without blemish on the 10th day of the first month. And then take a male lamb without blemish on the tenth day of the first month. And now, uh, take that male lamb without blemish on the first day, of, uh, tenth day of the first month and keep it until the fourteenth day of the month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Alright? So there is the sixth and the seventh instruction. Alright? Now why, why did he say take it on the tenth? And keep it till the 14th. Because they were to choose a lamb without blemish. Is that right? But it might be that the lamb had some kind of infirmity that did not manifest itself right away. And so to ensure that it was indeed a lamb without blemish, you, you choose it on the 10th 
and you watch it then until the 14th day and, uh, and uh, to prove that it is indeed without blemish. And then on the 14th day, you kill it in the evening, the end of verse 6 says. So on the first month, 10th day of the month, you to take a lamb, supposed to be a lamb without blemish, supposed to be a male lamb without blemish, and you are to take it and keep it until the 14th day to make sure that it is indeed without blemish, and then you are to kill it. And verse number 7, the seventh piece of information, and they shall take of the blood. It was not the suffocation of the lamb. You didn't drown the lamb. You didn't strangle the lamb. Uh, you didn't bludgeon the ram. Uh, you shed the lamb's blood. Amen? You shed the lamb's... What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so the lamb had to be killed and its blood had to be shed. Now look at something else here in verse number 7. They, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat it. They were to take, they were uh, elsewhere, the Bible gives them more instructions. It was uh, with hyssop. Uh, and uh, they were uh, to take the hyssop and they were to dip it in the blood and apply it to the top posts and the side posts. You see that? And uh, so that uh, the, the, the death angel, when the death angel uh, would come, then that blood was visible. And uh, there on the uh, upper posts and the two side posts. And verse number 9 says, And they shall eat the flesh in that Night. You know what Jesus is? Jesus is the bread of life. Amen. He's the bread of life. Amen. And if you eat uh, uh, of, he, uh, 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 of Him, uh, the bread of life, you'll never hunger again. Amen. You'll never hunger again. And uh, and He says now in uh, verse uh, uh, number 11, And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, get ready to go, your shoes uh, on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Amen. Hey, that's where the Passover came from. That's what Jesus was celebrating in the upper room with his disciples. He was commemorating that time when the death angel came. But the little male lamb, the male lamb without blemish, the male lamb taken on the first, uh, on the tenth day of the first month, the little male lamb without blemish taken on the tenth and saved until the fourteenth day of the first month, the little lamb that was slain and his blood was spilled and the hyssop dipped in the blood and applied to the post above and the post on the side. That lamb right there that's who they were celebrating in the upper room and then jesus said now then now then we're going to start something new now then we're not going to be looking forward anymore now then we don't need we don't need pictures of what's to come because in a few hours the lamb of god slain from the foundation of the world will cry out from calvary's hill it is finished it is finished and from henceforth we will look back And remember what Jesus did. You know, it's an interesting thing. The most orthodox Jews in the world don't kill lambs anymore. 
the most fundamental, strict Jews, or they don't kill lambs anymore. Instinctively, whether they know it or not, they give credence, they give testimony to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world, probably without even realizing it. Isn't that interesting? There's no more lambs. No more need for lambs. Amen. Hebrews makes it clear the blood of bulls and goats and lambs could not wash away sin. But our high priest one time took his blood and went into the Holy of Holies. And the tabernacle that was here on earth and that temple furniture on earth was made, Hebrews tells us, from the pattern in heaven. And our great high priest, uh, who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities, led captivity captive and went up there, I believe, and took his blood and put it on the mercy seat in heaven. And there needs no more blood be shed because the Lamb's blood, the Lamb from the foundation of the world slain for you and I, the male Lamb, the perfect blood Lamb was slain and the blood applied on the mercy seat and there it is even tonight in the presence of God the Father. Amen. No more lambs need to be slain. No more lambs. The Lamb has been slain in His blood shed for us. Christ is our Passover Lamb. So interesting, Abraham and Isaac are marching up the hill of Moriah. Where is today the Temple Mount? Where Christ was slain on a cross 2,000 years ago. And those centuries before Abraham, in obedience to God's very unusual command, take now thy son, thine only son, and go up top the mountain and sacrifice him there to me. And Abraham's taking his son Isaac, and they have some coals there, they have the fire. And they have some wood there that will be kindled. <clears throat> and um, Isaac asked a question. He said, Father, <clears throat> we have the fire here. We have the, we have the wood. But what about the sacrifice? What about the lamb? And in Genesis 22 and verse number 8, here's what Abraham said. God will provide himself a lamb. God will provide Himself. Notice it didn't say, it didn't say God Himself will provide a lamb. It said God will provide Himself a lamb. You see, Isaac was a picture back there in those Old Testament days of God's son. Amen. And uh, and a sacrifice. And oh, Abraham showed his faith in God to raise even his son from the dead to keep his promise that through Isaac's seed uh, that would come God's chosen people uh, whose descendants would be like the stars of the heavens and the sands of the sea. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And God indeed did provide for himself a lamb there a ram was in the thicket and God did it there in the present tense but he also spoke prophetically of that lamb that would come those centuries later and down the hill called Calvary amen he indeed provided himself a lamb let me show you something interesting about this event in Exodus chapter 12 the Egyptians had over 2,000 gods that they worshipped. In fact, <clears throat> I, I didn't bring it to the pulpit with me and I, I don't have it marked in my Bible. But if you go back and study the Egyptian gods, you'll find a correlation in every single one of the nine judgments, plagues that came before this death angel correspond, each one of those plagues correspond to an Egyptian deity. The word theophany means 
a human manifestation of God or a God, little g. We talk about the word theophany. We talk about theophany being a, an appearance of Christ in human form in the Old Testament. He did that on numbers of occasions. The Lord Jesus came and manifest himself in the flesh. But the word theophany is not uh, exclusively a word that defines God, capital G, coming in flesh, but it is also a word that can describe a little g God, a false God, manifesting himself uh, in, in a fleshly form. And those Egyptians, uh, 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 for example, the turning the, uh, the, uh, the, the water of the Nile into a blood was an affront to the God that they worshipped the frog. They, they had a God, a big frog head, and, uh, and they worshipped the, the frog. Uh, they worshipped uh, dogs. They worshipped cats. You can think uh, in your history books and world civilization, world, you know, history of civilization courses, and you can think about some of these Egyptian so-called treasures that have been discovered and realize that these uh, carvings and so forth and statues and so forth, bulls were worshipped, cats were worshipped, poisonous cobras were worshipped, lions, lioness, crocodile, scorpion. And But there was one God, one God, primary God, uh, Amun-Ra, Amun-Re, who was pictured, he was pictured as a lamb. You've seen, if you think about it, the sphinx with a ram's head. When God came to his people in this tenth plague, he said, I want you to take a lamb. I want you to take the embodiment of the supreme Egyptian God. And I want you to kill it. Now, in Egyptian culture, to kill a lamb would be like in some strict Muslim communities around the world to, 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 to uh, blaspheme the prophet. We all have those horrid pictures in our minds of decapitated people who de- dared to defy the prophet Muhammad in ISIS-controlled her- territories. But in Egyptian culture, to defy their God, whose theophany was a lamb... No one, you couldn't kill a lamb. And that's not unusual. Uh, William Borden in his, uh, historically not unusual, and William Borden in his, uh, in his, uh, biography, uh, took, when he was 18 years old, he took a trip around the world with a, a, an old man took him, and that was his first year of education, literally traveling the world. And he talked about place, he talked about being in one city. Uh, in, in uh, India, uh, where where monkeys were venerated and worshipped, and uh, literally monkeys just overran everything. They were in people's homes, in the streets. Even to this day, uh, uh, cows, bulls are worshipped in parts of India, and people literally starving to death while while full heads of beef are walking around town. But you can't kill them because it might be grandpa, it might be grandma, or any number of uh, hundreds or thousands of gods. And, and so it is not uncommon in, 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 in godless cultures uh, to worship animals as a theophany or as an, a physical manifestation of a god or an ancestor. And so when, when, when God said, take the, take the lamb, take the lamb and kill the lamb, you understand what he was doing? He, he, he was throwing down the gauntlet. <laughs> he was throwing down the gauntlet. You see, to kill a lamb in Egyptian culture would mean the death penalty. Can you, can you imagine the Egyptian authorities 
going through Goshen. What you doing with that lamb right there? It's, it's day 10 of the first month. 11th day, 12th day, 13th. What are you doing with that lamb right there? Uh, 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 uh. Better nothing happen to that lamb. Then the 14th day came. What will they do? If they don't slay the lamb, God said, the death angel will come and kill the firstborn. If they do kill the lamb, the Egyptian culture said, we'll come and kill you for blaspheming our chief God. A clear decision was facing God's people. May I say something to you tonight, dear friend? When you choose Jesus Christ, you are making a clear decision. You are making a clear decision. Joshua, at the end of his life, stood up in Joshua twenty four fifteen to a people who had a bad habit of wandering into idolatry and said, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers on the other side of the river, on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Amen. It was a clear decision. That first Passover was a showdown between Amun Re and Jehovah God. Just like Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel and had a showdown with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves and the prophet of God. Uh, and his God, Jehovah God, is the one that sent fire from heaven. And there was a bunch of heads that rolled that day. And, uh, and Jehovah had a showdown on Mount Carmel here in the land of Egypt so many centuries ago. At the first Passover was a showdown between the gods of hell and the true God of heaven. It's a clear decision. Decision, a clear decision. When you choose Jesus Christ, you choose that which is offensive to this world and offense to our arch enemy, the devil. I have my prayer closet picture of a man that's a professor at a state university. I met his wife on an airplane. I pray for them. She's from Nepal. When I met her, I asked her about her soul. She said, oh, I'm from Nepal. She said, We have nine, we said, we have nine. Uh, we, we, we have nine gods, and uh, we serve, and uh, they're represented by nine planets, and we serve them. And uh, she didn't know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, sweet, sweet, sweet as she could be, young lady, she had, her and her, uh, she lived in Nepal, and her, her husband is a professor here at State University in the U.S., and he, they, he'd gone to Nepal, and they got married. He got on a plane to come back for his duties here in the States. And she, uh, she, two weeks later, she was scheduled to come behind him. And between the day they got married and when she was scheduled to fly out, COVID hit and all the flights were shut down. And she hadn't seen her husband in, 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 in over a year and a half. And she married and she was going to see him. She hadn't seen him in a year and a half. And I sat next probably for close to an hour and started in Genesis and went all the way through the Scriptures showing her Christ. And God came in human flesh and, and the Lamb. He's God's Lamb. And he suffered in our place. And she looked at me. She, did, she said, you know, this is so much simpler than my religion. She said this so much simpler. She said it would really be nice to believe this. I said, you can. She said, I'm going to think about it. I don't know what's happened to her. I don't know if another gospel witness, but I pray that a gospel witness comes upon her path again. And I pray that she comes to know Christ. But if she ever comes to know Christ, it won't be now I have I had nine gods and now I have ten. No, it'll be I had nine gods and now I have one God. And His name is Jesus Christ.
The Hindus have literally hundreds of thousands of gods, perhaps millions. But you don't make a million and one. You make him Jesus, the one and only. Amen. He doesn't share his throne with anybody. You see, the offense of the cross, according to Galatians in chapter number 5, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5, and it said, uh, it said this, And I, brethren, if, ye, if, yet, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Paul is dealing with his false teaching that sprung up in the church in Galatia and elsewhere that if a man's not circumcised according to the Jewish law, then he's not really saved. And, uh, and, uh, and Paul said this, he said, if I started teaching that, I would in essence be adding something to salvation, the gospel of grace, that one of the most misunderstood passages in all the Bible is a handful of verses before this, but it talks about falling from grace. He's talking to a group of people whom he won to Christ by, by God's grace. And, uh, and, uh, and, and the group of people who had gotten away from the teaching of grace. And he says, look, I, he's trying to straighten them out. He said, you fell from grace. You, you once preached and believed grace. And now you let some Judaizers come in and say, no, 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 no. You're not really saved. You don't do this. And now you've messed your doctrine up. He said, get back to grace. Get back to grace. And he said, if I, if I taught what you're teaching, he said, he said, I, I would have removed the offense of the cross. What he's saying is this. If it's Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus plus baptism, or Jesus plus Amun Ra, or Jesus plus Virgin Mary, or Jesus plus anything, what you have done is you've removed the offense of the cross. The devil doesn't mind you believing in Jesus as long as it's Jesus and something else. As long as it's Jesus and uh, whatever else. Good deeds, baptismal. A certificate, a church membership. No, no, no. The gospel isn't Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. And what is offensive about the cross, what's offensive about the gospel, is the exclusive claims of the gospel. It's not Jesus is a way. It's Jesus is the way. And that's what chased a world that rejected Christ. And that's what makes the devil dig in and get angry and frustrated. Listen to me. Uh, you can talk about God all you want to in generic terms. But when you name the name above all names, the name whereby we must be be saved as the only way to be reconciled to God the Father. Now you got to fight on your hands. You see, the offense of the cross adding to the gospel makes it acceptable. But it's the gospel's exclusivity that makes it offensive. The cross is an offense to all that man prides himself in. It offends man's morality. Because your works can't save you. It offends man's philosophy. Because the gospel appeals to the heart, not the mind. It appeals to faith, not to reason. It offends man's culture. Because to get saved, you have to become like a little child, not a smart professor. It offends man's sense of social standing. Because God chooses the poor and the humble, not the high and the mighty. It offends man's will. Because it calls for man to completely and unconditionally surrender his will to Christ. It offends man's pride because it shows that he is exceeding sinful. And it offends man himself with the phrase, you must be born again. It's a clear decision. 
There's something else. It's a public decision. When he said on the first month and the tenth day, set aside a male lamb without blemish and watch it to the fourteenth and then take it and shed its blood. He didn't say, take a bucket of blood and put it in the house. He didn't say, take the blood and put it on the uh, 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 living room wall. He didn't say, go to the bedroom, put it on the post of the door, the bedroom and the side. But he said, go to the entrance of the home where folks can walk by and see and in a public place, take the blood and put it on the post and put it on the side post. Listen to me, my dear friend. Uh, 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 whosoever believeth in him, the Bible said, Romans ten eleven shall not be ashamed. Salvation is a decision you make in your heart and profess with your mouth. Confess with your mouth that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus shalt believe in thine heart that God the raising from the dead thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believe in the righteousness and with the mouth confession is made in salvation. Let me tell you something. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. <laughs> you believe it in your heart, you confess it with your mouth. Amen? That's what the Bible said. And whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. To cast your lot with the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, that lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, is number one, to make a clear decision. But number two, it is to make a public decision. A public decision. That's why walking this aisle and saying I got born again is so important. That's why getting that baptistry is so important because it says I'm not ashamed to be named with Christ. Amen. Let me tell you something. This whole world... Put the pressure on you. The world doesn't mind you being a, a quiet Christian, but you be a witness and all of a sudden you're going to get some pressure. I was just about to drive by the little apartment. It was a second floor. It was three levels. And uh, the stairs went up from the street to the second level, down to the lower level. And then up another flight of steps to the third level, the apartment building. And it was such a timid, yeah, we'll come, that I didn't really think anything about it as a bus worker. And quite frankly, I didn't. I thought, well, if I don't see them out, they're not coming. I'm not even going to bother. And I literally was about to drive on by the house, and I saw a little the door crack, and I said, "Oh, bus driver, stop!" <laughs> and, and a little young man, a 14 year old young man named Galatian, march on, came walking out the front door, and his little brother's little sister. They got on the Sunday school bus. We rode to church <clears throat> in the invitation. I walked him down to the front. One of the deacons took him, sat on the steps there at First Baptist Church in Hammond and led Galatia to Christ. And he was, he, was, uh, he was excited about being saved. His whole family would end up getting saved. He would end up going to the City Baptist High School, the, the school just for bus kids there. And, uh, but, but before that, he, 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 he changed. He changed. Started, he got him a Bible. Started carrying his Bible to school. And he started wearing a shirt and a tie to his public school. I'm talking about in Chicago. Carrying a Bible. And wearing a shirt and tie to his public school. And he started getting grief from the gangbangers in the neighborhood. I had led a man to Christ named Tony Velez, Anthony Velez, joined the gangs when he was 15 years old. He was 31. He told me, he said, everybody I join the games with is either in jail or dead. And uh, it was the sweetest thing. Tony got, got to have ten, he had ten children. That's a bus worker's favorite stop. Amen. He had ten children, lived on Armitage Avenue in North Chicago. 
And about a block and a half away on Lindell Street is where Galatian Marchand and his family live. And so right down the street on Armitage is where Tony lived. And after Tony got saved, it's a funny thing, and he had been in the gangs, and I, I, I watched that man put his head, big old mountain of a man, big, big man, wore a bunch of gold chains on his neck, like a Puerto Rican Mr. T. Anyway, but anyway, I watched him put his hands one day on his kitchen table and just heave and sob, big mountain of a man, heave and sob. And say to me, I want so bad to be out of the gangs. He said, but there's no way. I don't know how to get out. He said, I would be dead in all my family. I don't know how to get out of this. And he come to church. He wore dark glasses and never took them off. <laughs> I said, you take your glasses off. No, I'm sorry. Sit through church with dark sunglasses. And um, Tony told me one time, he said, now, Brother John, he said, I know... Y'all do a good work in our neighborhood. He said, now, if any of these boys on the street, now, if they ever give you any trouble, you let me know. I said, okay. He said, I'll look out for you. I said, well, thank you. Well, Galatians started going to public school and wore a shirt and tie and carried his Bible with him. And the gangbangers started picking on him, giving him a hard time, put pressure on him to join the gang. He's almost 15 now by this time, maybe 15 by this time. And it started getting serious. And uh, they started harassing him, harassing his family. And I come on Saturday, and they say they threw bricks to the window again this week. The gangs are throwing bricks to his uh, their apartment window. And so, and so I, I went down the street. I said, Tony. I said, these knuckleheads out here are harassing his family. I said, this boy got saved, and he's just trying to live right, trying to do right. He goes to public school, carries his Bible, wears a shirt and tie. He said, I'll take care of it. Okay. I came back the next Saturday. I was up there on Saturday, visited all day on Saturday. And I went back up there on Saturday and visited Tony at his house. And his, his arm was in a sling. And had a cast and holding it in a sling like that. I said, Tony, what happened to your arm? Uh, he said, you know that problem you told me about last Saturday? I said, I said oh, you're talking about Galatians? He said, yeah, you won't have that problem anymore. I said, oh, okay. All right, that's all I want to know. <laughs> Can I tell you what? You know what your decision for Christ ought to be? It ought to be a public decision. Amen. I remember, I remember getting a getting a job in the summertime. Most of the time, I work an extra job. We, we were trying to keep ourselves in school, trying to keep me in school, and trying to keep a bunch of us kids in school, and trying to pay their school bills and raise money for their school bills. And, and that meant working two jobs in the summertime. Just about every summer that I was there. So I got a second job, a place called Northwest Transport. And I was there a day or so and a bunch of curse like most every other. The only people curse worse than sailors are truck drivers. And anyway, and dock workers anyway. And so I thought, you know, I, did, I, did, I, 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 was, I was just there. And it's an extra job just for the summertime. And, I, and it just all kind of filth. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, but I thought, you know what, let me just go in there. And I don't want to make a big speech or anything. But I just walked. I usually go up by myself, you know, have my, read my Bible a bit, whatever, during lunchtime. But that day, I just walked right straight into the middle of the lunchroom. And I had my full-size Bible, not my New Testament. And it was lunchtime. I walked right into the middle of it. And I took my Bible and just went like that. Just let it flop down like that. And then every head went. And I opened it up like that. Sat there, ate my sandwich, read my Bible. Amen. After I finished that, somebody walked up to me later and went, Hey, are you a Christian? I said, Yeah, are you? <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. It's a public decision. Amen. It's a public decision. 
Or they tell you something else. Lastly, it's an eternal decision. My destiny and your eternal destiny hangs on what you will do with the Lamb. Brother, you listen to me. It's not just a lamb. It's not just a lamb slain. It's a lamb slain and his blood shed. And it's not just a lamb slain and his blood shed. It's the lamb slain and his blood shed. And his blood applied to the doorposts of my heart and yours. That's the eternal decision that every man, woman, child must make in this lifetime. His feast to spend eternity with his creator. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit. And a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had his re- received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath parted the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years and when the thousand years were expired Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea and they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened which is the book of life. And the sea gave up uh, the dead uh, which were in it. And, uh, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw... The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. 
He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and adulterers, adulterers and all liars shall have their part which burneth in the lake with burneth, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high and had twelve gates and at the gates twelve angels and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations and in the names of the, and them, in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth four square. And the length is as long, or large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, 1,500 miles. The length and breadth and the height of it are all equal. 1,500 miles tall, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long. And he measured the wall thereof, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, likened to transparent glass. And the foundation of the wall of this city was garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasis, the eleventh adjacent, the twelfth an amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. For there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, listen to me, my dear friend. It's a clear decision. It's a public decision. And it's an eternal decision. It's heaven or hell. It's up or down. It's eternal life or eternal death. It's the pit with the devil or heaven with the Lamb. Amen. I choose the Lamb. I choose the Lamb. Shall we stand, Father? Thank you for thy beloved Son. The Lamb slain.